0: So uh, we're going to be picking up kind of where we left off in the book of Matthew today. I'm really um, kind of enjoying this series. We're looking at what it's like to look at the book of Matthew and the stories of Jesus through a couple of different lenses, right? And one lens is this idea of just the theology of it all and just trying to really understand who Jesus is and how we relate to him and what his plan is and what his character is all about. And then this other lens is more of a practical lens, which is to say, kind of like, well, we know him, how do we follow him? And how do we live a life that brings honor to him and points people to him, and a life that he calls us to, which is rich and satisfying and abundant. And so today we're gonna be looking at, I think, uh, one of my favorite passages uh, in the book of Matthew. If you've got your Bibles, this is Matthew 4, and we're gonna pick it up in verse 12. So Jesus has just been baptized, he's just gone through the temptation we talked about last week, the testing in the wilderness, and then today we're going to have a little bit of a long read, so follow along with me if you can, this is the ministry of Jesus beginning, uh, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he went first to Nazareth, then he left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, and this fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, beyond the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles lived, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 18, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. And they were throwing a net into the water because they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And a little further up the shore he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too, and they immediately followed him. "'Leaving the boat and their father behind. "'And Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, "'teaching in the synagogues "'and announcing the good news about the kingdom. "'And he healed every kind of disease and illness. "'And news about him spread as far as Syria, "'and people soon began bringing to him all that were sick. "'And whatever their sickness or diseases, "'if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, "'he healed them all. "'And large crowds followed him wherever he went.' people from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the River Jordan. So I I, don't know, I like that passage. That's where we get, when you get a chance to reread that, that's where we get our little um, kind of tagline that says reaching, teaching, and helping people in Jesus' name. If you ever wonder where that's coming from, if it's on your t-shirt right now or your coffee mug at home, that's where it comes from, check it out. But what I really like about this is the part about these first followers of Jesus, um, because that's what our series is about, right? It's about knowing Jesus, but it's also about following Jesus. That's our what. Right? That's, that's, what that's what we're trying to do, right? Following Jesus, that, that's our what. Um, I think, truthfully, a bigger question, though, might be how. How, how are we going to follow Jesus? I mean, that is a a pretty high standard to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Um, and we talk all the time about, like, and then, you know, we have the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and then we have the New Covenant, right? And we always talk about how, oh, Jesus took, he made it so much simpler, right? Because in the Old Covenant, there were, like, 612 laws. And in the New Covenant, there's only two laws. Love God, love your neighbor, and that's it. So Jesus made it really, it's it simple. It's simple. It's simple. it's simple. Um, is it easy? Is it easy to follow Jesus? Because, I mean, if I'm reading this right, we're supposed to love other people more than we love ourselves. Is that? Is that easy? We're supposed to love people like Jesus loved us. Is that easy? We're supposed to forgive people that hurt us. Is that easy? This new covenant is about your heart right and so in the old covenant it's like don't kill people but in the new covenant we can't even hate people in our heart and in the old covenant you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage but in the new covenant if you even think about it then you've already committed sin in your heart the old covenant was about animal sacrifice but in this new covenant i'm supposed to lay down my whole life as a sacrifice to jesus so yeah, it's simple, but is it easy to follow Jesus? Am I, am I the only one? Um, maybe somebody else feels the same way, that sometimes people hurt me, and you know what? It's, it's hard for me to forgive them. And sometimes people don't love me back, and it's hard for me to love them. And sometimes I get frustrated with people especially my enemies and like I don't think I can love them you know I, I don't I don't think I can forgive them and I'll tell you something else sometimes I get frustrated with myself because it's like I'm supposed to be getting better right I'm supposed to be becoming more like Jesus I'm supposed to be following Jesus and sometimes I feel like Paul like you know the harder I try the worse it gets so I don't know maybe I'm the only one let me look like, a quick poll how many of you are Jesus followers? Oh, good, and um, how many of you, how many of you would just honestly say, sometimes it's kinda hard to follow Jesus, and I actually, sometimes I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Let me see, okay. Um, If you didn't raise your hand just now, I'll just say, man, you're awesome. Way to go, and you deserve a reward for that and so your reward is what we all really want um, a 35 minute nap so right now you can just go to sleep because I want to talk to the people that sometimes struggle with the how of following Jesus and you know what I want to I want to talk to the ones that struggle with the why right that might even be more like what why should I even try? Why should I choose a life of sacrifice and struggle to follow Jesus? And then when I keep trying to get better and I keep getting worse instead, why should I keep trying? Why should I keep trying when it's hard and and when people are mean to me or when I'm really discouraged? Why? Why? Why should I think it's ever gonna get better? Um, Simon Sinek wrote a book a couple of years ago. Remember that book, Starts With Why, right? And his thing was that, that the great secret of success is to start with why. The, the why is our reason, right? The why is our purpose. And the why, why we're doing this, that, that's what gets us started. And that's what moves us, and that's what motivates us, and that's what keeps us going when it's really hard. Does it ever get hard? to follow Jesus. I mean, do you, do you ever feel like, you kind of forgot why we were doing it. Do, do you ever feel like giving up? Does anybody ever feel like giving up? If you didn't raise your hands to that, <laughs> you're awesome. And you have 33 minutes left for you to take a nap because again, man, sometimes it just feels like it's too hard. And sometimes it just feels frustrating and discouraging and painful to follow Jesus. And you know what I think we need? We need a why. You know, we need a we need a good why. Why should we believe like why should why should we love like that? And why should we live like that? And why should we even deal with people and persecution and frustration? I'll tell you another, why should we follow Jesus? instead of just somebody else. There's a million great religious leaders, there's a million books out there. Why would, we, why would we follow Jesus? And listen, when we're trying to be like him and we're trying to follow him and we just keep failing, why should we keep trying? Why? And why, why should we love people that don't love us back? And why are we, why are we doing this Christianity deal? I, I think I think we need a really great, if we're gonna keep going when it's hard, if we're gonna follow him down this impossible path, I think we need a really great reason. I think we need a really great, per, I think we need, we need a great why. And you know who had a great why? These guys, these new disciples that were following Jesus, they must have had a great why. Something made them leave everything I mean, this is, you gotta, you know, go back in this. these are real people. This isn't just, a, it's not just words. These are real people that really happened. They had a real family and a real house and real jobs and careers and bills to pay and, and neighbors, and they were, they were just like us. They were regular people. And these guys specifically were just, they were commercial fishermen. They had a job. That was their job. It was a little family business that they had. And Jesus walks up to them in Matthew 4:22 and says, follow me, and it says, they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Why? And why did, they, why did they keep doing it? Why did they stay with it? Why didn't they quit? Because it got really hard for them later, right? They had three years of, like they were homeless for three years. It was real trouble for them. There was a lot of persecution for them. They were getting arrested. All kinds of horrible stuff was happening to them. Their families were turning against them. All kinds of terrible stuff. They were, they were going hungry. You know, they got in trouble for working on the Sabbath one day because as they're walking through the fields, their hands are like dragging along the grain, like wheat or whatever that's growing up, and they like pop some off and grind it up and eat it, and they got in trouble for working on the Sabbath because they ground up that wheat in their hands. But I got a bigger question than that. That's what they were eating? Right? This is the life that these guys were living. This, this, is, this is hard. They were eventually killed for following Jesus. They watched this one that they were following be tortured to death. Why in the world did they keep, they needed a good why. Right? Why, did they, why did they stay with that? You know they were scared. You know they were frustrated. You know they were tired and hungry and beaten down and they felt like giving up. So like, what was their why, you know? And I think Matthew can help us here. I, I think if, if he can help us see their why, then maybe that can help us find, maybe their why is a good enough why to help us when we're frustrated, and when we're tired, and when we're hungry, and when we feel like giving up. So let's just kind of see if we can figure out what Matthew is presenting as their why and see if maybe their why will work for us, okay? And so now, I'm gonna just save you some suspense. Um, I'm just gonna tell you now. um, Their why was a who. Because their why was Jesus. It wasn't some great religious training, right? It wasn't that they were gonna get the big bucks someday, right, their why, their motivation. Jesus was what compelled them to follow him. Um, He's what inspired them. When they got beaten down, he's what motivated them and empowered them to follow him in this ministry and change the world. Their why was a who. Their why was, was Jesus. And so we have the story of Jesus from four different guys, right? We have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they're all kind of telling the same story. They're all just writing down what they saw, and each one is writing from his own perspective, And each one is writing kind of from, like to a different audience, right? Each one is writing kind of to a specific audience. And Matthew is a Jew, he's a Hebrew, and he's writing to Jews. And so I think it's important if we're gonna kind of understand what they were thinking and what they were feeling is to kind of try to feel like what were they feeling, what did they know, what did they think, and put ourselves in their place. And so these these first century Jews, man, like Matthew and like Andrew and Simon, they knew their Bible. Boy, and we talked about this a while back, like they didn't have kids' soccer. You know what I mean? They didn't have cheer, right? They didn't have the yard of the month. They didn't have social media, right? So all these time sucks were gone, right? They didn't have TV. They didn't have TV. Take TV out of your life. Take your phone out of your life. What are you going to do with that extra 20 hours a day? <laughs> right? That, like, right? What are you going to do? What are you going to? And so what did they do? They went through those stories, man, every day, all day. Remember, they, 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 they put them on their foreheads. They carried them around on their wrists. They were on the door of their house. They were on their gates. They talked about them when they went to bed. They talked about them when they got up. They talked about them on their road. They talked about them at home. Every Friday night, all the neighbors, all the family come over. We're going to have a big cookout. And what are we going to do? We're not going to play Pictionary. What are we going to do? We're not going to you know, show pictures of what we saw on social this week. What do they do? They're telling those stories. These people knew their Bible, and their Bible, of course, was the Hebrew Bible that we call the Old Testament, right? They just called it the Testament (laughs) because there was no New Testament yet. Okay, okay, anyway. So they they knew the Bible is the point, and so here's here's Matthew. He's a Jew writing to Jews, and he's telling the story of Jesus. And the way he's presenting Jesus to these people is that Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah, right? And that's, in the Greek, we're going to call him the Christ, same word. In Hebrew, he is Messiah. And he's telling them that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the Messiah that's talked about all through the Bible. He's the, he's the Bible, and he's telling them this with these hyperlinks. Remember we talked about hyperlinks where he'll say something and it's referring back to something that happened in the Old Testament and that's how they kind of know what he's talking about. So Matthew is specifically constantly using these hyperlinks to say Jesus is the one that the, that the prophets talked about. Jesus is the one that the prophets talked about. He just keeps saying that over and over and over and over and over and over. 12 times in the book of Matthew he says this fulfilled what the prophets said. So 12 times. So Matthew's probably, what, twenty five pages maybe, so that's every other page. He's telling the story, Jesus did this amazing thing, and he says, and this fulfilled what the prophet said would happen with Messiah, and and we just read it. Um, Chapter 4, 13, it said, Jesus went to Nazareth, to Capernaum, Galilee, went all over. Verse 14, this fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. And remember, we learned if you wanna know where it's hyperlinking, you look at the bottom of your little Bible down there, and you find your footnotes, and it'll tell you that that's referring us back to Isaiah 9, which you should go home and read today. Isaiah 9 is awesome. It's Isaiah saying, this is what the Messiah is going to do, and so this is him. Do you see what Matthew is doing? He's, he's, He's doing this with hyperlinks. He's saying, the prophet said Messiah would come and he would do these things, right? And then he says, hey, Jesus did this thing. That's what the prophet said was gonna happen to Messiah. And so he's, he's, he's showing, he's, this is a really big claim that he's making. He is claiming that Jesus isn't just like the next Moses. right? He's not just another David. He's not just a great leader or teacher or general or king. Matthew is saying something really big here. He is saying Jesus is Messiah. And this, I'm telling you, changes everything. This, this changes everything. Because remember, they knew their Bible, and they knew what a big deal Messiah is. This, this, this Messiah was more than another leader. He was more than another teacher. He was more than you know, Moses, or Joshua, or David, or any of those guys. He was, he what Messiah is the hinge of history. Everything pivots, right? He is the hinge of, his, not recent history, not ancient history, eternal history. And I just think it's hard for us to like, wrap our heads around in our world what a big deal Messiah is. And I want us to get on the same page they are, seeing how big a deal Messiah is. So if you don't mind, we're gonna go back just a couple of pages in the Bible and just look a little bit before this. So we're gonna go back to um, Genesis 1-1. Uh, so, sorry, so it's gonna be a while. Um, so we've got to get through those first, all the books of the Old Testament, and we'll get right back to Matthew. Now, just the very beginning. Okay, so this is Genesis 1-1, we're looking for the importance of Messiah, right? That's what we're trying to do. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You heard this one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Okay, I'm telling you, the story of Messiah starts here, with this just like blank canvas because the world at this point is a watery wasteland wilderness of, what does it say, darkness and chaos and disorder and it's completely void of life. There is no life. The only sign of life is the spirit of god the ruach right the 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 breath the essence the who god is is just hovering over the water and then in this dark chaotic lifeless mess god did what only god can do and he created and so with just with just the and you know the, you know the story in the days, right? Just in, in total darkness, he created light. And in utter chaos, he created order and beauty. Remember in that kind of second few days there, he separates the heaven from the earth. He separates the water from the land. He separates all the different kinds of plants, and they all repeat after their own kind. So he, he, in darkness, he created light. And in chaos, he created order and beauty. And then kind of last, in a world that was void of life, he created life, fish and birds and animals. And then, like the crescendo, right, the, the crowning achievement of creation, his, like his pride and joy, right, his, his big project. The last thing God created was human life, Adam and Eve. And they were different than the rest of creation. They were different than rocks and fish and trees and plants because humans were created in God's image. They were created in God's image. And so they were to be his his family. They were to be his royal priests. And they were supposed to represent and reflect God in his image, right? They were reflecting God to the world, and they were put there, remember he said over and over, he said to them, rule over everything, reign over everything. They were put there to rule over all of God's creation, key words, with God. And the whole world, God's, God's creation was, it was perfect. It was, it was perfect, it was paradise. That's what Eden means, it means paradise it was it was perfect it, it was and the, more than the pretty flowers right oh really good fruit it was it was perfect it was beautiful it was beautiful but the main thing it was it was the place where god and man were completely together and in that place god loved humanity so much he provided everything that humans need food and water and and safety and work and companionship and beauty and rules, well, one rule, right, one rule, and that one rule was necessary, that they could eat anything they want, they could do anything they want, except to avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that rule was necessary because God didn't want man to be a robot, right, God didn't want to just program man to love him back, he wanted man to really love him back, and so that meant man to have, had to have the option, right, to really love, they had to have... They had to have free will to A, keep that one rule, and love God back, and trust his provision, and his protection, and his strength, and his wisdom, and his definition of good and evil, and really be with God in the garden, or B, and that would be that instead of choosing to be with God, man could try to be God, and live in his own strength, and live in his own wisdom, and his own definition of good and evil. And it sounds like an easy decision, but you know the story. Then the serpent comes in, and sin comes in, and tempts man, and, he, and man chooses B, And then the spiral begins, and sin ruined everything. When sin came into the world, it ruined everything. This is Romans 5:12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone because everybody sinned. And death wasn't just that men wouldn't live forever, which I guess was the original plan. It wasn't just that, it was, it was spiritual death. It was separation from God. It was relational death. This was the beginning of the turmoil between human beings. It was, it was the death of God's perfect creation. So this is when Corruption and disease and hate and betrayal entered God's perfect world, not just mankind. It, it entered God's, God's whole, per- listen, God's whole perfect creation was decreating, right? And it was going from light back to darkness. And it was going from beauty and order back to chaos and disorder. And it was going from life back to death and separation. And it was all because of sin. And it just spiraled. And so, remember, we were in Eden, man. Things were great. And now, look around, right? Things just got worse and worse and all because sin entered the world. And so, God activated the plan, right? And he chose a family. And one people, who was the family? Who was it? It was Abraham's family, right? It was the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And from that one group of people, he would bring one man, the Messiah. And that man, we just start over, right? And that man would be what Adam was supposed to be, and what Israel was supposed to be, and what humanity was designed to be, which is the reflection of God, the image of God, his royal priest um, representing God to the world and, and ruling creation. With God, And this man would be more than just a man because he would be God and man together, which again, that was the original plan. And this Messiah would come and he would recreate God's perfect world and he would restore light from the darkness and he would restore beauty and order from chaos and disorder and he would restore life from death. And he would recreate man. And he would that's why we saw it being born again, right? We're a new creation in Christ. He would he would give birth to a whole new kind of human that actually could resist evil and temptation because this new humanity would not only be created in God's image, but he would be filled with God's Spirit. And this new humanity would be like the Messiah, because he would be God and man together. So Messiah was going to reverse the curse of sin and, and, and restore paradise and this amazing relationship and God and man together. And God promised this. He promised Messiah way back in the garden and then all through the Old Testament, we'll fast forward a little bit now, right? All through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Hosea, all these prophets promised, God promised through them that someday Messiah would come and he would restore God's kingdom, and he would restore man to what God created him to be. So all of creation is pointing towards this promise of the Messiah, this new human, this God-man, the, the, the hinge of history, who's gonna come and undo what Adam did and what humanity did and what we did and take away the sin of the world so that God's plan could start, God's whole creation could start moving back from chaos to order and beauty and from death to life and from darkness to light. And here, Matthew kind of like is gonna tell us a little bit about that. This is Matthew four thirteen. We just read it. Jesus goes to Nazareth and Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee and to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is a region where people didn't know God. So this is a region of complete darkness. In verse 14, this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in the Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. So Messiah was coming to, to bring light to darkness, to to recreate and undo what sin and Satan had done to decreate God's world. So I can do this all day or you can say, wow, the Messiah is a big deal. I would need it with more enthusiasm. Wow, the is a big deal. Okay, I can stop. I mean that's that's a big deal right? It's a big deal. They've been waiting for always. They've been waiting since forever for the Messiah to come and undo this garbage and stop this spiral and start this spiral and get us going back towards life and light and beauty and order and away from death and chaos and darkness. And so, okay, let's, let's skip forward now. So when, when Andrew... And and Simon sees Jesus that day, and Jesus walks up. Because it's always it's an amazing thing. They're at work, right? They're fishing, and Jesus walks up and says, "Follow me," and they go like, "No," and that's it. And that that seems like that's crazy, right? Was was he a stranger to them at that point? Did they ever see him before that? Do you think they knew him before that day? I think they did. I think they did, and Matthew doesn't tell this part. Remember, we got four gospels, right? They're all telling a little bit different views. I saw it from a different angle or whatever. John tells what I think is the first meeting of Andrew and Simon, Peter, and Jesus. And in this, you can look it up when you get a chance. It's in John chapter one, and John the Baptist is baptizing people, right? And he's baptizing all these people, and remember, he baptizes Jesus. And then John the Baptist realizes this is the Messiah right this is no regular guy here's his clue right when he baptized jesus and he came up the sky opened up and the holy spirit came down and descended on him like a dove and god said from heaven this is my beloved son right so yeah that was like a hint to john the baptist this is this, this is him this is the one. This is the hinge of history, right here, right. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's going to undo what Satan did, and he is going to recreate what Satan decreated in the Garden of Eden. So he knows who John the Baptist knows who Jesus is, right? And so now Andrew's, Andrew's there. He's talking to John the Baptist, and Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist. This is uh, John one thirty six. So I'm paraphrasing a little. And so John the Baptist says to Andrew, Hey. Check him out, right? That's in the message version. It's like, hey, check him out. That's him. That's him. That's the Messiah. We've been, you're, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your great-great-grandparents. I mean, Adam, all the way back, we've been waiting for this guy that's gonna undo what sin did and recreate humans and rebuild God's perfect human, and this is that moment. This is, this is him. This is, this is Messiah, and he says it with just these words. Behold the Lamb. Right? Check him out. This is him. This is the one that takes away the sins of the world. And it's really a cute little story because Andrew is like starstruck, I guess. Like, it's like, I, I, he, he can't believe it. This is, this is the Messiah. And so Jesus is like, he's, I don't know, walking along, going to lunch or something. And so here comes Andrew and he's like walking behind him. He's like all nervous, like, you know, like, that's him. I mean, this, that's him. That's him, and finally Jesus turns to him, like, what do you want? That's what he says, look it up. That's what Jesus says, what do you want? And Andrew like chokes, because it's just, it's just, he's like, um, uh uh-huh. just, hey, Messiah. <laughs> he says, where are you staying? <laughs> what a stupid question, right? He, just, he, he, he choked, the pressure was too much. This is the Messiah, man, and he says, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. He didn't say, follow me. He just said, come and see. And so Andrew doesn't, because he's freaked out. And so instead, he goes and gets his big brother. And he says, hey, Simon, I mean, it's him. It's him. And so they actually come, Simon and Peter. And and that's that's when Simon gets his name changed to Peter. And they actually, they meet Jesus and I think in that moment, they realize who Jesus is. And we just we covered this, I think. He's a pretty big deal, right? He's, he's the Messiah that they've been praying about. He's the Messiah they've been hoping for. He's the Messiah they've been waiting for since always. And so now, now, back to Matthew's story, right? I don't know, sometime after that first meeting, Andrew and Peter, they're at work, they're fishing, and now Jesus walks up and says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And so, yeah, immediately they left their nets and followed him and they left, they left everything. They left their jobs and their families and their business and their income and their homes and they started this super hard journey with Jesus and they endured unbelievable trouble, an unbelievable persecution, why did they do it like what was their why they had to have an amazing why why did they follow him in the first place and why didn't they quit when they were tired and when they were frustrated and when they were being beaten and thrown in jail and when they were hungry and they were scared and after they saw jesus killed why didn't they quit you know they were scared You know they were frustrated. You know they were tired, but they kept going and they changed the world. Why? Their why was a who, right? Their why was the Messiah. Their why, they realized who they were with. This is the hinge of history. Their why was Jesus. And seeing who he really is changed everything for them and he became their why so the question i guess in front of us is have you seen jesus like that do you really see who he really is he's not a teacher man he's not a good guy he's not a, he's not a, a a great author a great preacher Right, some kind of moral example. He's the Messiah. He He's the hinge of history. And he has changed. There was, man, there's been a couple of really, I'm talking about big events, right? It started perfection. It started spiraling out of control. Jesus came. That's it. And now he has got us going back the other direction. So, I'm going to ask Joy and the worship team to come out and, and do another song with us in just a second. But you guys doing okay? Yes. Ready with me so far? So um, if you were one of those people in the beginning who said that you never struggle with a how and that you never get tired or frustrated um, or think about giving up about following Jesus, just go back to sleep because we're almost done. <laughs> but if you're the rest of us, who sometimes struggle Then, when you struggle, right, when you, when you say, I want to follow Jesus, I, I want to follow Jesus, but it's just, this stuff is hard. You know, how am I supposed to overcome my sin? How am I supposed to overcome my brokenness and, and fear and frustration? How am I supposed to love my enemies? How am I supposed to forgive people that hurt me, how am I I never gonna hate anybody? How am I never gonna look sinfully at somebody? I wanna follow Jesus, but how? Um, Can I share the gospel with you? Can I tell you some good news? Jesus is your how, because Colossians 2 tells us that through his spirit, he's giving us the desire and the power to follow him. Jesus is the how. When we're ashamed, he takes away our sin. Jesus is the how. When we're broken, he's our healer. Jesus is the how. When your life is impossible, he reminds us that we can do all things through him. Jesus is the how. When we're afraid, his love, his perfect love, casts out all fear. And when we're anxious and burned out and worried, He says, just throw all your cares on me. And when we are utterly frustrated and and anxious and exhausted and feel like giving up, he doesn't say, try harder. He doesn't say, do better. He doesn't say, be better. He says, come to me, to me. I'm the source, I'm the hinge, I'm the Messiah. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I think a lot of us are a little confused about this. Jesus isn't really that interested in what you can do for him. He's more interested in what he can do for you. He's more interested in what he can do in you. He's more interested in what he can do through you. Look what Isaiah said as he's talking about Jesus. He says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even ewes will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And they will soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run. Not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Jesus is your how. He's your source, man. His spirit is in you, and he wants to inspire you and direct you and lead you and empower you to be part of his bringing back his kingdom, but not in your strength and not in your goodness and not in your wisdom, in his. He's, he's your how, and when you get exhausted, and frustrated and anxious and burned out and tired and feel like giving up, when you need a good why, right? When you say, why should I forgive people and love people that don't love me back? Why, why should I try to follow Jesus when it's so hard? And why should I really even believe that things are ever gonna get better? Then remember, your why is a who, yeah? your why is Messiah your why is Jesus and he's not just another leader or a teacher he's the hinge of history and he has come to recreate what sin and Satan decreated in God's good kingdom and he wants you to rule it with him so he's recreating you too Jesus is making all things new starting with you. So, how will you be able to follow Jesus? Jesus is your how. You can do all things through him. Why should you follow Jesus when it's so hard? Jesus is your why. Jesus is the Messiah. So if you would, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna ask you to stand. And let's sing a little song about Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus. He's our strength. He's our healer. He's our source. He's our example. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us the how, right, so that we can follow him. And, Father, I just pray, because I know everybody here, sometimes we just feel like it's too hard. And we just get too frustrated. And people don't love us back. And things don't go the way we thought they would. And Sometimes we, we feel like giving up. And we need a why. So I thank you because you sent us, not a great teacher, not just some moral leader, not a great preacher or writer, you sent us the Messiah not to tell us how to do better, to make us better, to recreate us in your image, to recreate your good world so that we could lead it and rule it with you. Thank you for Jesus. Will you please today help us see him for who he really is? In his name, amen. So the what is simple follow Jesus but it's not always easy so when it gets hard remember Jesus is your how his model his teaching his spirit and when you feel like giving up remember your why is a who it's not just another man he's the hinge of history he's the messiah your wise Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great week.